behind me, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Uh, go to the next slide, if you would, uh, Randy. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them uh, before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Father, as I come before you uh, this morning, as we come before you, Lord, uh, uh, we pray for your blessing to be upon your word. And Lord God, as we examine this subject of uh, terror and fear in our lives, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, burn this message into our hearts and help us to overcome this, Lord, that we would be truly productive people for your kingdom. And Lord, we know that as long as the enemy hinders us through the spirit of fear, the spirit of terror, Lord, we really cannot be productive for your kingdom as we should. So Lord God, help us to uh, live in victory, Lord, even as you instructed the children of Israel to uh, live in victory so many years ago. And uh, bless this word now, Lord. And uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, I'm going to start a new series entitled, Taking the Promised Land. And uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at these different uh, uh, tribes in succession. And... Uh, these include uh, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Okay, give me a hand. I've been practicing for a half an hour to get those down. Each one of these tribes represents a particular spirit that we need to overcome in our Christian lives. And so uh, uh, this morning we're going to be talking about the Hittites, which are the, uh, literally that their name means the sons of terror. So the title for my message this morning is Overcoming the Spirit of Fear or the Spirit of Terror. Uh, now, a little introduction to this series. I heard it, some of it during my past visit to uh, Thailand. I was attending a small international church and the pastor there was uh, going through these different uh, uh, tribes and showing what spirits that they represent. And I didn't hear all of the messages. In fact, uh, the first one today, I uh, missed that one. You know, I caught a quick, quick recap uh, the second time through. But, you know, every good preacher worth his salt, you know, knows how to take a subject and run with it. And that's what I'm trying to do here this morning. Now, this series involves Old Testament typology, and that's one of my favorite topics in the Bible. So, uh, before going into the subject matter for this morning, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork for this series. 
so you can better understand what I'm trying to do. Uh, next slide, Randy. Okay, uh, first of all, we need to get a Christian view of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a covenant of the law and the prophets. Luke chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said that the law and the prophets were declared until John, that is, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. And since then, the kingdom of God is proclaimed, and uh, that is, uh, since the time of Jesus. And the uh, New Testament, New Covenant, is not a uh, covenant of law, but it is of grace. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God who at sundry times and diverse manners spoke in times past, under the, in times past uh, to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. So it's the doctrine of, it's a, a, a testament, it's a covenant of grace. God no longer speaks to us, though he can use New Testament prophets. They're not the same as Old Testament prophets. But rather he speaks to us through the Son. And the Son can speak through his Holy Spirit to prophets within the church. But by and large, he speaks to us individually through his Son. Okay, next slide, Randy. So the New Testament is a covenant of grace. So what do we do then? Do we just uh, discard the Old Testament and ignore it completely? Well, that's hardly so, because the Apostle Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter uh, 15, verse 4, For everything that was written in the past, that is, in the Old Covenant, was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, this doesn't mean that we just uh, accept everything in the Old Testament as an example to follow. On the contrary, there are some things that are examples of what not to do. Next slide, Randy. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, uh, uh, verses 1 through 5, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Next slide. Now these things happened as examples for us that we should not crave the same evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 of them fell in one day. 
Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Okay, so uh, next slide, Randy. A quick introduction to what is called Old Testament typology. The word there in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verses 6, and also 11 again, examples is the Greek word tupos, from where we get our uh, word types. Uh, and uh, thus we get Old Testament typology. Egypt, for example, was a type of the world and the world system. The passage through the Red Sea when the, uh, uh, you know, backtracking, Jesus is a type of the Passover lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And the blood of the covenant is his blood that inaugurates the new covenant. The, the blood of the lamb <clears throat> inaugurated back in those times, inaugurated the old covenant and the blood of the lamb, the Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, uh, inaugurates the new covenant. The uh, uh, passage through the Red Sea after they left the land of Egypt, that's a type of water baptism. The manna which they ate in the uh, uh, desert is a type of, the, uh, is a type of uh, Jesus as the bread of life. And the rock which gave them drink, you know, Moses spoke to the rock and it brought forth uh, water, that's a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a, Christ is a, the antitype of that uh, rock <clears throat> because you speak now to Jesus and he gives you the uh, water for your spiritual life, which is the Holy Spirit. Okay, next slide, Randy. Other types in this story. You have the land of Canaan. After they left Egypt, God just didn't leave them out there. He wanted them to enter into the land of Canaan. Now, some people think that the land of Canaan is a type of heaven, you know, uh, the life to come. But actually, Canaan represents the life that we can have in the here and now. It's the land of abundance. You remember God said that the, he was bringing them into the land of Canaan, which is land of abundance, a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, the uh, story of the spies, when they went in there, they uh, cut off a bunch of grapes, and it was so heavy that two of them had to carry it. You know, they had to tie it onto a pole, and two of them had to bring it in. It was a land of great fruitfulness. And so the land of Canaan, for us, is a life of abundance. It's the abundant life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, and life more abundantly. God wants you to enter into this abundant life. Uh, the 40-year wandering. You remember how they uh, were stood at the very brink and then uh, they sent in the spies. The spies came back and 10 of the spies brought an evil report. They said it's a land of abundance, but there's no way that we can uh, overcome these people. They're too strong for us. And uh, the majority of the congregation of Israel believed the evil report, and so they did not enter in. 
And uh, so what happened? God allowed them to wander in the wilderness, feeding them for, with manna and uh, giving them the spiritual uh, water from the rock. That's how they survived out, over, uh, out there in the wilderness for 40 years. And that's a type of the carnal Christian who wanders around, does not enter into the land of abundance because of fear, unbelief, and rebellion, and just never gets anywhere in his or her Christian life. And that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to have that abundant life. Eventually, they crossed over to the uh, uh, promised land by the crossing of the River Jordan. And this is a type of death to self, specifically your own self-will. When you die to what you want, your own desires, and you decide that you're going to follow the Lord with your whole heart and accomplish what he has for you. That's the crossing of the River Jordan. And that leads to the land of Canaan, which is the life of abundance. Okay. Other types in this story. The enemy tribes in the promised land. Uh, these represent the spirits that the Christian must overcome to obtain this life of victory and fruitfulness, the abundant life. Deuteronomy 7.2 says that when the Lord your God delivers them, that is, these spirits before you, and you defeat them, you will utterly destroy them. God wants none of these spirits in your life. And we're going to look at each one of these in turn, uh, a different one each week, and see what they are and see what we need to do to defeat them in our lives. Okay, so that's the groundwork. Now let's talk about the first tribe, which is the Hittites. What does the name Hittite mean? Well, literally, it means the sons of terror. The Hittites were the children of Heth, whose name meant terror. You first read about Heth in Genesis chapter 10, verse 15, and you find out that he was one of the uh, sons of Canaan. Canaan, if you recall, was cursed by Noah because of an incident, which I won't go into detail, but they were cursed by uh, Noah. Uh, later on in Genesis chapter 26, verses 34 and 35, and also 27, verse 46, you'll find that when uh, Isaac was in, you know, he was the son of Abraham. You remember how Abraham had left uh, Haran and uh, gone into the uh, land of Canaan, the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. His son Isaac was living there, and his son had two. Uh, his son Isaac had two sons. Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob. Jacob became the uh, <clears throat> uh, son of the promise, and Esau had his share of problems. And one of the problems that he had was he married not just one but two of the daughters of Heth. And uh, the scripture says in uh, Genesis uh, 26, 35, that the daughters of Heth, the ones that he had married, were a grief 
to Isaac and also Rebekah, his wife. So then the, the spirit of the Hittite is the spirit of fear or the spirit of terror. And God does not want the spirit of fear to rule in our lives because one can never really have a life of victory when his life, his or her life, is ruled by this spirit of fear. Next slide, Randy. Now, there's two kinds of fear. There's, first of all, the healthy kind of fear. And when the, guy, the, the scripture talks about this fear, it's more a, a spirit of respect or reverence. And this should be our fear of God. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9 verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This leads to other benefits in life, having the fear of the Lord. Next slide. Proverbs 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If you've got the fear of God in your life, in your heart, then you should hate that which is evil. Not only in your life, but in the lives of others. And, uh, you know, if it's the lives of other people that you are close to, you should help them to try to overcome that evil. Proverbs 10, verse 27, the fear of God prolongs life. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. So this, the fear of the Lord, it brings this abundant life, as opposed to the spirit of terror, which stunts our uh, uh, abundant life. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction of wisdom. And finally, Isaiah 33, verse 6, the fear of the Lord is the treasure of Israel. And because we're now, uh, we've taken the place of Israel, it's our treasure too. Next slide, Randy. Okay, now the... Continuing this thought of the healthy kind of fear. What you should uh, fear, that is, again, respect or reverence, is that which is more powerful than you. When Moses saw the manifestation of God on the Mount of Sinai, you know, the cloud and the fire and the thunder and everything, he said, I exceedingly fear and quake, Hebrews 12:21. Others, you know, there are other occasions uh, when people saw manifestations of God in the Old Testament, including Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and the same result uh, happened. They uh, uh, felt fear, you know, and reverence and awe at the power of God. This even happened at, uh, in the New Testament, too. You remember the transfiguration when Peter, James, and John... Uh, were taken by Jesus up into the high mountain and they saw him transfigured before their eyes. His face shone like the brightness of the sun. They felt awe and reverence. 
And finally, John at, uh, in Revelation, when you read the book of Revelation chapter 1, when Jesus appeared to John, he fell at his feet at the sight of uh, the Lord. Now, it's not just the supernatural, though, that we should have a healthy respect and reverence for. There's other things in this very world we should uh, uh, respect. You know, if you see a down power line and you see the spark flying out on it, uh, believe me, you better have a little respect for that and not try to grab a hold of it. Or what about lightning, you know? Uh, you know, when I was preparing this message at uh, my uh, 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 town home, you know, we, we had that thunderstorm hit, and it was, happened just right when I was preparing the message, and all of a sudden, a clap of thunder. It must, I mean, a, a lightning, you know, a bolt of lightning hit. Uh, it, it, it had to have been right out in my uh, uh, parking lot because it, it fell, and then uh, just almost instantly, I heard the thunder. Uh, do you remember that, Trevi? Yeah, yeah, it scared, scared the wits out of me. So if you've got a healthy respect and uh, uh, reverence for that lightning bolt, don't go outside during a uh, thunderstorm, believe me, you know. It could have some dire consequences if you do. Uh, we have healthy respect for speeding cars. You know, I have enough respect for a speeding car. I'm not going to walk out into a busy uh, uh, street, you know, unless I first look both ways and make sure no cars are coming. And, of course, uh, there's also the people that are in authority over us. We should have respect and reverence for them. And anybody that's been in the service, as uh, Randy and I have been, you know what, how uh, you, know, you need to have that respect for those that are in authority over you. <clears throat> uh, but there's another kind of fear. Next uh, slide, uh, um, uh, Randy. Uh, and that's the spirit of terror. Now, strange as it may seem, some actually like this fear, you know, it, provided it's in a controlled environment, of course. You know, that's why the uh, horror genre in the movies is so popular. I personally wouldn't give you two cents for it. I've never seen Halloween or uh, Friday the 13th or, uh, 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 you know, some people like those. You know, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I'd, I don't have much use for it because I, I never watched those things. And, you know, then, of course, you have Halloween. I, I pointed this out uh, this past Halloween. You know, my, so many people have this fascination with Halloween. And they just say, well, I just like to be scared. I like to feel scared. Now, there's a reason for that. You know what that reason is? Is you get this adrenaline rush, you know, with uh, the accompanying, you know, uh, either fight or flight response. And it's usually harmless. But when you come down to it, it's just like any other uh, drug. You know, maybe some people are addicted to that adrenaline high. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's like a drug. And it's like every other drug. You know, it, it can bring harmful things as well. These people that are adrenaline junkies, you know, like to uh, hang glide and uh, do some all kinds of stuff and everything. They're addicted to that uh, adrenaline rush, which can have some dire consequences for them, too. Uh, next slide, Randy. 
Now, the problem with terror is that terror deals primarily with the unknown, real terror. And it's more emotional than it is mental because it deals with things that the mind cannot see. And as a result of this, it causes uh, uh, mental and emotional despair, uh, brings distress, it brings depression, and it can even lead to suicide. And this is what Al-Qaeda and uh, ISIS and the other terrorist groups today are trying to accomplish. They're trying to stir up that spirit of fear within, uh, uh, within us. You know, that's why they call them terrorists. And this terror does not come from God. This comes from none other than the Prince of Darkness. The results of the terror. Next slide. It brings torment or punishment, as we read in 1 John 4.4. It can lead to spiritual paralysis, like the proverbial deer in the headlights. You know, uh, uh, one with a spirit of fear is never really going to accomplish anything uh, (coughs) for, uh, for God. Uh, I was reading the uh, uh, biography of a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a particular missionary. And whenever he wanted to uh, make a step of faith, you know, he would feel, you know, like the, the odds were stacked against him. But then God would speak to him through Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4. He who watches the wind will not sow. And he who looks at the clouds will not reap. That is, you know, if you just, you know, consider the outward circumstances alone, you're never really going to take a a step of faith. The great uh, missionary William Carey, the father of uh, uh, Christian missions, went to uh, uh, the country of India in the late uh, 18th century. And his motto was, expect great things from God, attempt great things from God. In other words, you can expect God to move, so don't be afraid to launch out into the deep. But if you're ruled by this spirit of terror, you're never going to attempt anything, and therefore you're never really going to accomplish anything. The results of terror, it it brings bondage. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Next slide, Randy. The spirit of terror can also lead to involvement with the occult. That is, you start conversing with mediums concerning the future. You know, crystal balls, tarot cards, astrological charts, palmistry, things like that. And this is not the way to go. It also leads to the placating of spirits and spirit worship. I've spent uh, five and a half years of my life in Thailand, and I've truthfully, I believe, described it as a uh, nation that's completely ruled by fear, the fear of these spirits. Everywhere you go, you see these spirit houses in front of people's uh, homes, in front of businesses, and they faithfully go out there 
and uh, burn incense and uh, hang garlands of flowers and put out offerings of uh, uh, drink and even sometimes food for the resident spirit that uh, uh, lives there because they want to placate the spirit. They think that the spirit will therefore bring them good luck and uh, uh, not hassle them, you know, bring them uh, 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 the things that they want and not the things that they don't want. Uh, when my kids were growing up, I had them, uh, 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 my babysitter was a woman by the name of Pat, and she was from the northeast of Thailand, where spirit worship is so much a part of their lives. And uh, her husband wrote a little uh, biography of her life, and I remember reading that. And when Pat was a young girl, maybe about five or six, uh, she was maybe a, a year or two, you know, just about my age. And it was amazing to me, you know, the, uh, to read uh, the, the way that her life went there in rural uh, uh, northeast of Thailand. Her family decided that they were going to uh, move to a, uh, a region about maybe 70 or 80 miles away. And so they uh, lo uh, loaded up an ox cart uh, drawn by... Uh, a, a team of water buffalo, and goes, goings were so slow it took them about 10 days just to travel that 70 or 80 miles. But every um, evening, her mother religiously would make a makeshift shrine to the resident spirit there and burn incense and uh, pray to the spirit. That's the spirit of terror right there. You're afraid of the unknown, and you are hoping to get these resonant spirit on your own side and, uh, uh, you know, not uh, receive bad luck from it. And, you know, they would say, well, we're just passing on through here. Uh, please don't give us a, uh, a hard time. You know, that's what I'm talking about, how people can get ruled by this spirit of fear. <clears throat> and the only problem is this leads to even more bondage. Not just the bondage of uh, uh, fear, but also the bondage to these spirits. You know, indulging in the occult and spirit worship is like making a pact with the enemy. And it's not the will of God. And involvement in the occult and uh, spirit worship is strictly forbidden in scripture. It's not God's will. Next slide. God does not want us to be consumed by a spirit of terror. First, uh, Second Timothy chapter one verse uh, seven. Paul writes to Timothy and says, "God has not given us the spirit of fear, the spirit of terror, but of power, love, and a sound mind." Amen. Remember, I said that this. Terror comes largely from the emotions and not from the mind. And that's why, you know, uh, Paul says it leads us to have a spirit of a sound mind. And I'm going to talk more about love. He also says power, love, and a sound mind. I'll talk more about love a little bit later on. The role that love plays in getting rid of terror. Romans 8, verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you received uh, through, brought about your, your adoption to sonship, 
and by him we cry, Abba, Father. As children of God, we are children of the Most High. Amen? Amen. Now we are God's adopted children if we are born again. And I say to you, what kind of sick parent would want his children, his or her children, to live in fear? You want your children to live in fear, parents out there? You want them living in fear? You want them living in a life of security, don't you? Amen? Over 100 times in the Bible, I just did a quick consultation of my concordance, you know, preparation for this. And you know, over 100 times in the Bible, you hear those, you read those words, fear not. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right arm. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Now, briefly, I just want to talk about some of the types of uh, fear that we can have in our lives. Next slide, Randy. First of all, there's the fear of death. You know, God has provided the cure for death. Can you say amen to that? The cure for death is the resurrection of the physical body, which will come about at the last day. But it's not just the the, uh, resurrection of the body. Uh, It's also the abundant life starts the moment we believe and we trust in Jesus to help us overcome these spirits. John 11, 25, verses uh, verses 25 and 26. I brought this out when I was going through the I am sayings of uh, the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never, never die. I'm living eternal life now. Not just in the uh, moment, uh, the day of resurrection, not just the moment that I die from the physical life. I'm leaving eternal life right now. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. It's talking about Jesus. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The fear of the unknown. It's slavery. Next slide, Randy. Now closely related to this, you know, fear that we have maybe of our physical death, is the fear of the death of a loved one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And then he goes on from there, and talks about that great day 
of resurrection. So if you lose a loved one and you feel sad because you won't see them anymore in this life, you at least have the hope that in the life to come you're going to see them again. And so death is separation. You're separated from them for just a season, but you will be reunited on that great day of resurrection. Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was one of the uh, five young men who were missionaries to the Alka Indians, and they were killed by the spears of the Alka Indians. And instead of feeling bitter towards the Alka Indians because of the fact that they had uh, made her a woman, Elizabeth Elliot eventually went back to them and witnessed to them for Jesus Christ, and a number of them got saved. And the thing that brought comfort to Elizabeth Elliot's life, you can read about this in her book, Through Gates of Splendor, is the fact that Paul had written in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So she looked ahead to the moment that she would be reunited with her husband in the life to come. Corey Ten Boom, and I, I believe I, I told you this story, I think I read it actually from her book, The Hiding Place. Um, her first experience of death came when she was a young child of maybe about six or seven. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, a baby from uh, one of the neighbors had died, and uh, she went over there to uh, uh, see the, the baby before they, uh, uh, you know, uh, buried, uh, buried the baby. And it was her first experience with death, and she, you know, looked at the still form. She kind of cringed at it. Eventually, she got enough courage to go up there and touch the little hand and felt how cold it was. And she shuddered, and she said, if that can happen to this baby, then it could also happen to Betsy, you know, her sister, or it could happen to Mama, or to Papa. And when her father came in that night to uh, tuck her in, she just burst out into tears, and she said, I need you. You can't die. You can't. And her sister explained to her father what had happened. And her father just took her hand and said, uh, Corey, when we go on the train to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? And she sniffed back to the tears and thought about it for a moment. And she said, why, just before I get on the train. And she, her father said, and so it is with you too, Corey. You know, when the time comes for some of us to die, God will give you the grace that you need. Not before, but it'll happen right on time. And so when you deal with the possibility of loved ones, your uh, parents, your uh, brothers and sisters, maybe a close friend with them passing on from this life, God will give you the grace that you need at the very right time. And be assured that if they are born again, you will again see them on the 
day of resurrection. Next slide, Randy. There's also the fear of physical suffering. And I'm thinking here in terms of sickness or catastrophic injury. And this is similar to the fear of the death of a young uh, loved one. God will give you grace and comfort when you need it at the very uh, right time. Uh, You know this, uh, uh, Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. And he talked about having a thorn in the flesh. It was some kind of, uh, in all probability, some kind of illness that he had. We don't know exactly what it was. But we do know that three times he asked the Lord, take this away from me. And each time God said, no, no, no. And then the last time he said uh, in verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul concludes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, the context of this passage, Paul was enumerating all the things that he endured for Christ, being shipwrecked, you know, uh, being uh, beaten with uh, rods and being beaten with uh, whips, something like five times. He was beaten with rods three times. Once he was stoned, you know, he was weak, but God gave him the grace. God will always give you the grace, no matter what kind of physical suffering you have to endure, uh, that you can endure it, you know. <clears throat> Along with this is the next one here. Ne- next slide, there, Randy. The fear of persecution. You know, God promised us that we are going to suffer persecution. Second Timothy three, verse twelve. All, that's a double L. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's not a matter of if, but when. And when it happens, how will you react to it? The promise of God is that he, if you endure this suffering, that God would give us the words to say in the time of need. He also tells us, do not fear those who can kill the body only, but not the spirit, but fear him who is able to destroy both the body and soul in hell. Matthew 10, 28. Then said that he who truly fears God fears no one else. Because God is the one that's on the throne. The person that's persecuting you is mortal just as much as you are. It's only God that has the power over both your uh, body and your soul. You have the Hebrew children. You know, good illustration of this is uh, the Hebrew children in Daniel chapter 3. You remember that uh, Nebuchadnezzar set up this uh, great golden idol. And, uh, you know, he had a band that would uh, uh, start playing. And every time the band played, 
his subjects were to bow down and worship the idol. And what happened? The Hebrew children wouldn't do that. So he hauled them in front of them, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story? And he said, you're to uh, bow down and worship my idol when the band strikes its colors. And, uh, you know, if not, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And what man is there that can deliver you from that? And they told him rather coolly, said, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, our God is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. But even if he does not, we're still not going to bow down and worship your idol. It's kind of like uh, what we were just singing, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I was amazed at how much, you know, what we were singing this morning fit in with what I was trying to say. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, even if the Lord gives you uh, the, the world of, you know, darkness, a desert place, you know, we still bow down and worship him. Just like Job did, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So the Hebrew children, you know the uh, story? They were thrown into the fiery furnace and then uh, Nebuchadnezzar blinked his eyes and looked inside there and there was not just the uh, three uh, children there, but there was a fourth one like the Son of God and God delivered them from his uh, fiery furnace. But even if he had not, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego still maintained their integrity of worshiping the Lord. And finally, um, uh, these, these are just, you know, different things that I've written down that I could think of that we might fear. You know, there's probably many others. Uh, the last one is financial deprivation. But God has promised us that he would take care of all of our needs. Not necessarily everything that we want. You know, I've pointed this out before. You know, I want a million dollars. Is God going to give me that? Is God going to give me that? Well, he may, you know, but he probably won't. You know, he's only going to give you what you can handle. You know, so many people get this uh, windfall of, uh, you know, Maybe they win the lottery or something like that, and then they, their life actually falls apart. You know, it'd been better for them to have never won. You know, they wind up getting divorced or, uh, you know, they make poor investments and they wind up, you know, be worse off than they were before. God has promised that he would supply all of our needs, not necessarily all of our wants. Philippians 4, verse 19, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And finally, Matthew 6, 33, Jesus talked about, you know, all the things that we need, you know, the clothing that we need, the uh, uh, food that we need on our table. And uh, he said, uh, you know, you seek after these things, you know, the Gentiles seek after them too. But he said, it, it shall not be with you. You are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, I want to 
conclude this message with talking a little bit about the cures for the spirit of fear, the uh, spirit of terror. First of all, next slide, Randy. Get the word of God into your heart. Now, I've given you a lot of scripture right here. It's up to you, for you to take that and get it into your heart. Joshua 1.9, you know, just before Joshua went in with the children of Israel to the promised land, God told them, you know, they're going to be facing these giants, these enemy tribes that were more powerful than they were. And, but he tells them in Joshua 1, uh, verse uh, 6, you know, his charge to Joshua, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. And now verse 8. Keep this book of the law always in, on your lips, Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written into it. Then you be, will be prosperous and successful. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's pretty emphatic, isn't it? The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If you keep the uh, word of God on your lips and meditate on it so that it gets into your heart. Three times he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And sandwiched right in there is the commandment to keep his word on your lips and meditate on it in your heart day and night. Now, I've given you a lot of scripture this morning. It's up to you to act on it. And the second way is to receive that you can overcome the spirit of terror in your life is to receive his love into your life. Remember that the spirit of terror is largely emotional. And love is also an emotion, too. And it's out for there. The love of God is out for there, there for you whenever you receive it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. Fear has punishment. He who, has, he who fears is not made perfect, that is, mature in love. And the way that you get this love of God into your heart is to get quiet before him and hold out your arms and just receive it. You know, spend time with him in the secret place of prayer and feel his presence and receive his love. I'm going to conclude with uh, the reading of Psalm 91. And I love this psalm. I memorized it back when I was uh, my uh, final year of Bible college. And 
as I prepared this message and I, I knew that I was going to share this psalm, I was thinking about how much you know, this psalm just fits right in with these different aspects of fear. You know, fear of loss of life, loved one, you know, fear of disease, things like that. It all fits in. So I'd just like us to really just uh, tune everything else out and just listen to the words, read them up on the, the uh, screen there, and we'll, we'll think about them together. Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High, that's the secret place of prayer, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation, there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. You, they shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. You know, those are the symbols for Satan. You know, the snake and the lion. <clears throat> because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble I will deliver him and honor him with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation God does not want us to be ruled by that spirit of fear that's why he gives us places in his word like Psalm 91 as assurance of his protection for us. I've asked Randy to uh, play that final song that we sung earlier today, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. And as we sing